I've never heard of these podcast things. Is it like where you send a, you know, a telegram? <laughs> I thought we were going to record it on wax cylinders, John. Mm. <laughs> you can still buy models of those and things that you build yourself. And oh, stuff. you can, yes. Yeah. So, um... This isn't the BBC Light programme. The Tony Hancock Appreciation Society presents, ooh, very nearly an armful, a Tony Hancock podcast. Hello and welcome to Very Nearly an Armful, brought to you by the Tony Hancock Appreciation Society. On the podcast, we'll be discussing t- Tony's famous show. Stop. <laughs> Never heard of it. <sighs> Never heard of it. Who is this fellow we brought along? <laughs> One line in. <laughs> On the podcast, we'll be discussing Tony's famous series, Hancock's Half Hour. We'll discuss the show, its production, and what we liked about it. We rate and review the episode and just generally get our geek on about vintage comedy. We're your hosts. I'm James Griffith. I'm Martin Gibbons. I'm John Street. And I'm Tim Elms. We're spread across the south of the UK in a line from Wiltshire to Essex via Kent. And our members are spread all over the world. We've got members as far afield as Watford, Bradford, Crayford and Telford. (laughs) In this podcast, we'll be discussing the exciting newly found lost episode, The Marriage Bureau, not heard since first broadcast on the 8th of February 1955 at 8pm. This episode is the only one that features Peter Sellers, who plays the roles usually filled by an absent Kenneth Williams. But first of all, chaps, what's everyone been up to since we last saw each other a couple of weeks ago? Yes, at our reunion dinner, it feels more like a month ago. It's, uh, mm. Yeah, it's been a busy time. Got a new television that does uh, it's all OLED, so I uh, have yet to test out a, an ancient Hancock's half hour on it and see how it upscales, but um, I'm sure it will still look good. I know we often talk about what we've watched on TV at this stage, and uh, I haven't watched a great deal of TV lately, but it's got to... It's got a Hancock connection in that I watched the 1950s film of Treasure Island with um, Robert Newton. I'd be most interested to tell your crew what your trusted partner were proposing to do with that there treasure when I just happened to come across him and then two poor, no dead seamen he took ashore. Hancock was famous for doing his impressions of him when I saw that it was available on the Disney Plus, I think it is. I thought, oh, I'll have to have, have a look at that. And what made me laugh is it hadn't been on very long and Sam Kidd cropped up in it as, as a pirate on the ship. Apparently, um, back in the day, I read somewhere that people used to watch old films on TV with the deliberate intention of spotting Sam Kidd because he was in so many films. You know, people would say, oh, I saw him in this one, saw him in that one. You want to stop being nosy looking at other people's washing? And I wasn't. <laughs> Can't see anything, I just got a bit bored, that's all. Perhaps you'd like me to stop the machine, take them out and hold them up for you. <laughs> no, thank you. It won't be necessary, you don't have to go to those lengths. But uh, I think these days it's a bit like Kevin O'Malley, isn't it? He, um, he sort of crops up when you're watching TV when you least expect him. He sort of turns up in everything. So there's, uh, there's a few Hancock connections there with Treasure Island. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, a few good connections. I, I remember we uh, both, Martin and I, had the, the joy of seeing uh, Now Look Here, which was a, a Ronnie Corbett sitcom from the early 70s, I think, that has never come out on DVD commercially anywhere, but the, the whole thing exists. But that was quite a, a fun one. You had Barry Cryer 
um playing someone's boyfriend in that sort of like a gay gentleman and it was co-written by um by graham chapman and it's yeah it's quite a fun sitcom wasn't it martin yeah that was a that was a great watch that was at the um uh, kaleidoscope mac event um on the well, early september yeah it was it was great to see that and, and i think that um certainly the one we saw with was recovered it had it's not an original uh, recording from the tv archives i think that's a lost a lost episode that kaleidoscope have recovered but yeah, it was it was a great watch and, and it was re- a really good fun um near the knuckling places um mm. uh, comedy which i think was pretty typical of the early 1970s yeah really good watch Oh, you can't fool me, darling. I know what's going on. Be quiet. Oh, I'll be quiet. Won't get another word out of me, I promise you. So off you go. Go on. To him. It wasn't like that. Oh, no. I could see you in the driving mirror. I'm not made of wood. No, goodbye, Roger. Uh, gin and tonic, please. A gin, a gin and Oh, well, a whiskey then, a whiskey will do. Excuse me. Oh, I am sorry. In front of a customer as well. I'm ashamed of myself. Oh, doesn't matter. I, I didn't notice anything. <laughs> Not a thing did I notice. If you mean, uh, you know, your man friend. Your man. Or your friend. <laughs> well, I've been, I've been started to watch haven't completed the watch of the recently released Hancock 63 series on DVD. It's great to see the restored, the restored versions of the episodes. Seen them all before, but great to see them in this, you know, sort of as pristine as they could possibly be. Yes, and with uh, some of the tram lines and picture noise and things like that sort of filtered out rather carefully. So it's looking as good as it can from the the source it was, which was sort of some old cans that are film cans that have been hanging around for the best part of fifty odd years, isn't it? Um, it's amazing what uh, what they've managed to do with the transfer from, as you say, films that haven't really been out of their film can for for years and years, and um, nearly all the blemishes are gone. It's great, it's absolutely great to see. Rather than watching, I've been um, I upgraded my Spotify to Spotify Premium um, a couple months ago. And I've sort of been revisiting. Did any of you ever listen to? I'm sorry, I'll read that again. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I've been uh, listening to a lot of those old radio shows um, from the sort of 50s and 60s and into the 70s. Sort of John Cleese, Bill Oddie, um, and that sort of thing. Really, really enjoyed them because I, I listened to a long, long time ago when I think I had on BBC tapes from the sort of late 80s, early 90s. Could never find them anywhere else. I sort of discovered a sort of vintage radio section where you could sort of find lots of old shows on Spotify. It's really interesting. This afternoon's race at Newmarket for the Bradbury Gold Cup resulted in another victory for the Queen Mother. (laughs) This was an extraordinary achievement as all the other runners were horses. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'll read that again. This was an extraordinary achievement as all the other runners were horses of exceptional ability. That's brilliant, and that's a really good series. Hancock's there as well, so yeah. I, I think that started with... Is that the one that started with Cambridge Circus? Something like Probably, that. Probably, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's, no, it's um, a great series and very innovative and um, for its uh, for its time. It's almost like Monty Python for the radio. It's, yeah, um, yeah, early sixties, and I think mm. that had John Cleese in it, didn't it? Did, it did, yeah. yeah. Bill yeah. Oddie, Graham Gardner, Graham Garden. Yeah, I had a tape when I was younger that my dad had of the I'm sorry, I'll read that again, again, which was like a reunion yeah. one they must have done in the late 70s, which is 25 years, yeah. Very, very memorable for the I've got a ferret sticking up my nose. He's got a ferret. 
which um, if once heard, never forgotten. Absolutely. <laughs> and I, love, I love the little intro of John Cleese on that one. It's because up in the sky, squillionaire recluse John Cleese, <laughs> hurtling, uh, orbiting Earth. And he wants to sing the ferret song. That's the whole premise of that um, special, isn't it? At that very moment, squillionaire recluse John Otto Cleese <laughs> was orbiting the Earth aboard his customised space shuttle, the Ferret One. <laughs> The ageing, crazed, eccentric, cut-a-sorry figure, encased in empty Kleenex boxes and latex rubber sheeting because of his neurotic obsession with not being mistaken for Basil Fawlty. What was the B-side of that? Because that came out as a single. It was Rhubarb, tar Rhubarb Tart, wasn't it? Yeah, great, a great, great show. Yeah, so that's what I've been I think most of them survive. I know there are some missing, but mm. there's a, for, for a 1960s show, I think it's got a, a fairly good... Um, uh, good retention in the I, um, in the archives, or certainly with, in collector circles, anyway. I mean, I had to look a little bit further about if there's any more, but the the collection of radio shows on Spotify is really impressive. All sorts of old shows on there. Yeah, I wanted to give a give a try to because Spotify's free, mm. I think, but with adverts, isn't it? Yeah, I haven't got the premium of Spotify, but um, someone said that the Hancocks are on there, but without the music. Is that is that still the case? No, the, the music's on there. Oh, right, OK. Yeah, definitely on there. One of them, maybe it's Apple Music, has the music replaced by some god-awful library music that sounds terrible. Mm. I'll have to see if I can find mm. an example and pop it in, but it's, um, yeah, biddle-biddle-biddle-biddle-biddle-biddle-biddle-biddle-biddle-biddle-biddle-biddle-biddle-biddle-biddle-biddle-biddle-biddle-biddle-biddle-biddle-biddle-biddle-biddle-biddle-
Tony Hancock inside his life in words and pictures has just been published by Kaleidoscope and can be obtained from www.tvbrain.info. Written by Tim, myself and Lucy Hancock, it's a brilliant look at Tony's life through the wonderful archives from the Hancock family and also from the Tony Hancock Appreciation Society. We send the record for that one. That's going to be brilliant. Do you think they're going to release those on DVD as well afterwards? It might encourage them to do some more if they do, if it proves popular. That's a good point. You don't, you don't usually see documentaries come out on No, DVD. but I mean the two, the two colourised... Oh, um, the colourised versions. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um, I would certainly hope they would be. I, I hadn't a clue, but um, I would have thought there was, a, there was money to be made for the companies in that. Yeah, certainly. But you'd like to think that they, the colourised would get a release anyway. Well, you'd think so. They never released that one colour-recovered episode of Dad's Army that was broadcast 15 years ago, though. So, you know, but that's because it had come out on DVD not that long ago. And obviously, they've, you know, stock of 50,000 of those or whatever. They're going to shift that before they consider releasing stuff again. Yeah. You just need to encourage lots of people to watch it. So uh, they look at the the viewing figures, they go, oh, maybe there is a bit of a market here. So make sure everyone watches it and rewatches it on catch-up. I'm sure we can always do a, a mini-podcast, just a little 10-minute thing um, before mm. it's broadcast to advertise it, you know. Yeah. Try to give a bit of archive news in that um, one of our members sadly passed away last year and uh, his family contacted us to see if we would like to... Uh, have his uh, collection of Hancock items. And essentially the uh, the family has donated to us um, his entire collection. His name was Adrian Last and he lived in Norfolk and he was a member of our society for a number of years and a dedicated Hancock fan and built up quite a huge collection of uh, items related to Hancock, which are now uh, safely in, in our possession. And one of the jobs I've got over the winter months is to go through the collection and catalogue it all for our archive. There are a number of interesting things, uh, such as uh, scripts from Hancock's Half Hour, signed photographs, theatre programmes, all sorts of things that he's been collecting over the years. Um, so we're, we're really pleased to, to, to receive that. As, That's uh, lovely. And it'll be like a memorial to Adrian, yeah. and we're going to make sure that... Uh, he is remembered through this collection. Yeah, and we're very, very grateful to the family for, for donating it. And it's, as you say, Tim, it's a really significant collection of some really wonderful, unique items. Um, so we're is. Looking, forward to, looking forward to seeing the full list once you've um, had the, the joy of going through and cataloguing it. So I, I guess then, uh, do we want to do a, a tweets and emails section? I've, I've got a few things that, are, that have come up in the intervening period since we last met. We was talking on Twitter a few months ago, and it was a few months ago now, uh, about the blood donor. And people were, were exchanging quotes about the blood donor and the doctor and nearly an armful, very nearly an armful, all that sort of thing. Anyway, um, one, one of the uh, Twitter guys, Steve Matt, mentioned that uh, Patrick Cargill was also a brilliant number two in The Prisoner, um, which is a programme we've mentioned before on here, and I think several of the number twos have got uh, Hancock connections. But what, what he went on to say is that Tony Hancock would have been perfect in the role of number two, particularly for a more light-hearted episode such as The Girl Who Was Death, 
Yeah. I don't know if, if either of you guys are familiar with that episode, um, but when, when I saw this tree, I, I thought, well, that, no one's ever said that before. So I, I looked it up and watched this episode, and it's um, it's a strange episode, to say the least, because uh, the prisoner is quite surreal from start to finish. But this one is a surreal story inside a surreal story, if that makes sense. It's just absolutely crazy. However, having said that, the number two part in that episode is relatively small. And it's absolutely true. When you watch it, you can see Hancock doing it. And, and the guy playing the part, and I didn't jot down his name, I'm afraid to say, but to the guy playing the part, he just, you know, if, if someone had said actually he was doing it in the mode of Hancock, I'd, I'd, I'd have believed it. I'm sure he wasn't. But, um, you know, you, you can see him playing that part, which I, which I thought was uh, quite an interesting one. My prop is God with children. <laughs> He might give something away. Well, it was worth a try, number two. He told them up. He told them a blessed fairy tale. That one wouldn't drop his guard with his own grandmother. People often talk about, you know, what if Hancock had been in Dad's army or um, one foot in the grave. We've had all this before on podcasts, haven't we? So, yeah. Uh, I, I thought I thought that was an interesting one. Oh, that's an interesting um, an interesting thought. Mm. And we also, I, was, I mentioned on Twitter somewhere along the line that my favourite episode was Fred's Pistol. And you know, we had this uh, discussion about Harry Tobe, and we've never seen conclusive proof that he played Fred. I mean, we know he did play Fred, but uh, it's not actually written anywhere. Ian and Fred. Evening, Mr. H. What's it to be tonight? Uh, three pies, please, Fred, and uh, three mugs of steaming hot chicory essence. With or without? With or without one? <laughs> Andals. <laughs> anyway, Matthew, Matthew Broughton on Twitter said he met Harry Tobe in a pub and he asked him what it was like recording with Hancock and he didn't remember a thing about it. <laughs> so... Uh, so that rules that one out. Yeah, mm. it does indeed, mm. doesn't it? So I think then it's uh, time for our main subject of the Marriage Bureau. So um, what did you think of this one, guys? Well, I was blown away by it because I'd listened to, the, obviously got the missing Hancocks and listened to Kevin McNally's um, brilliant yeah. rendition of that. I was absolutely staggered how different it was. I think, was the Kevin McNally the Lost episodes, I presume they were going sort of word for word on the script. Yeah, more or less. Yeah, the original had quite a bit missing from the original scripts. So it was actually really interesting. That's right. I mean, the, the script changes, as you say, the missing Hancocks went through the, the script as it survives. Certainly the copy that we've got, I think we've got the Ray Gordon copy. Uh, there were some lines struck out and changed, but a number of the lines that were used by the missing Hancocks hello. weren't actually used. Hello, Monty. Weren't actually used hello, by the... Hi. Uh... He said hello. <laughs> Sorry, that's completely thrown me now. <laughs> James is frozen and now Tim is stuck. Right. <laughs> Hi, Monty. Hello. How are you? Okay. Yeah, he said hello. He's gone now. He's gone to get his biscuit. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt him. <laughs> Sorry, I'll start that bit again. I can't remember where I was. Um, remind me, where was I? You weren't listening, were you? 
Well, you were saying about different different lines in the script, and I, I noticed the one line that from the missing Hancock's version is where um, he's like he says, "I'll put the ban up to her," and she goes, "Oh, you put the bands up! You put the bands up!" It's no good. I'll I'll have to put the ban up to her. You put the bands up. I'm ready. I'm ready. Oh, get out! Go on, get back to the jazz club. <laughs> I'll have to banner. Man me, oh, I'm ready, I'm ready, where is he? Get out, gone. Get back to the jazz clubs. <laughs> Maybe they skipped over the line that got missed because putting the bands up is a very 1950s thing to do, which isn't something you do now. But looking at the script, and I was looking at it earlier, uh, if I can find it on my screen here, the only line in the script that's cut out is about the... Uh, the long cigarette holder and the silk scarf. Perfect. Anything else? Yes, get me an painted silk dressing gown out. The dragon should be dry by now. And originally they had down, uh, get me dressing gown out of the cat basket, you know, give it a shake. And then a line or so later, the original line was Moira saying, uh, all these hairs are coming off. Where did those hairs come from anyway? Suspiciously, have you been making love to another woman? And Tony replies, if you could find me a tabby woman, I'll confess. And that was to change to the red stuff coming off the jacket. All oh dear me, dragons have smudged. Tony, look, it's all over my new dress. Well, never mind. Let me sponge it off. It's all right. Oh, no, stop, stop. You're making it worse. All that red stuff's coming off. Oh, bother me. Dragons have smudged. <laughs> so maybe that was a bit racy and they uh, changed yeah. it slightly. It looks like it was a last-minute change because it's yeah. it's crossed out and handwritten in the in the script. Yeah. Can, can I make a suggestion here? But it's come up before in Hancock's half hour, and I might I might be way off beam, but I get the strong impression that the expression "making love" in the fifties did not mean what many of us regard it today. Sid talks about making love in a TV episode, and if it meant that, they wouldn't have let it go through. I think making love was a kiss and a cuddle on the settee. You may be right and, there. Uh, because other, other, otherwise it wouldn't have been allowed. No way would that have gone out on BBC TV saying that, and, and indeed with the radio. It does seem a bit out of keeping with, uh, with a lot of the other Hancocks, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think, yeah. I think you're completely right, Tim. It had a, it had a different meaning mm. in those days. What, one of the other things I noticed, and I thought it was very interesting, is the original script uh, where... Sid is showing Tony the photo and Sid says, would you marry any of these? And, and Tony says, well, yeah, I'll marry any of them. And in the missing Hancocks, it's the Australian football mm. team. Hmm. Oh, yes, yes, I like this batch. I'd marry any of them. Well, you can't. Why not? That's the Australian cricket team. <laughs> Are you having me on? No. I just want to make sure you know the difference between the sexes. I know me differences. I don't go mixed bathing for nothing, you know. My word, no. And in the original... It's a regiment of Greek soldiers. Okay, take a look at this lot. Mm. Oh, yes. Yes, I like this batch. I'd marry any one of them. Well, you can't. Why not? That's a regiment of Greek soldiers. <laughs> hey, what did you show it to me for? I just want to make sure you know the difference between the sexes. I know me differences. <laughs> but if you read the script of the original, it's the Australian cricket team. So I've no idea why that would have been changed from the, the script that we've got. It must have been a very last minute change that removed the Australian cricket team and was replaced by this regiment of Greek soldiers. Because there are different versions of the scripts. And I think we've covered this before in podcasts because 
everyone would have had a copy of the TypeScript, and then different people would have made pencil changes to it as they were going through. Their own through. lines, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, the version that we've got, I think, is um, Ray's version. So, you know, the only changes that we've got are the ones that Ray would have sat down and jotted down himself. I mean, if it got up and walked, walked to the other end of the room, he might have missed it or something, you know, it just wouldn't have gone in. And, and so different versions will exist. Yeah. I think it just goes to show that Kevin McNally had a real good grasp of Hancock, I think, and the way he, he delivers it as, uh, you know, similarly to Tony all the way through. You said just now, James, that, you know, that there's sort of differences between the missing Hancock version and this version. I think particularly in the way of the script there is, because they wouldn't have known that these uh, lines were taken out. But what it does demonstrate completely is what a fantastic grip that McNally has got on it, as you said. Mm. I mean, it, I had both versions on the side-by-side side playing a few lines at a time to listen to this. <laughs> I must get the job. I'm desperate. I, I need the money. I, I haven't paid any rent for three weeks. How much is your rent? It depends. It's penny for the wooden ones and tuppence for the deck chairs. <laughs> but I must get a job. I'm desperate. I need the money. I haven't paid any rent for three weeks. How much is your rent? Well, it all depends. Penny for the wooden ones, tuppence for the deck chairs. <laughs> Kevin has just got it nailed. I mean, and he's, I think when he was talking to us at Birmingham at our annual dinner, he said, you know, what I tried to do was to put myself in the position of how Hancock would have done it. And he was just absolutely right, right the way through. Every intonation, it's fantastic. Absolutely, it really does show what, what a good actor he is. Yeah. And I, and I think one of the reasons why when you listen to these two episodes, you think, well, that's really different. Apart from the fact that the missing Hancocks have got stuff from the script that the original obviously took out because of uh, timing or whatever. But of course, the other difference is that the script all the way through says there's parts for Kenneth. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, Kenneth wasn't about, he, he was absent from this episode, presumably last minute because the script has got, uh, say, got Kenneth written all the way through. Mm. And of course, the part was then played by Peter Sellers. And what a different approach Peter took oh, yeah. to the approach that oh. Kenneth would have took. And I think that gives the whole Missing Hancock episode a very different feel to the original oh. because we've got someone different playing what is really quite a major part in the episode. No, Mr Hancock, I'm sorry. No. <laughs> this just is not good enough, I'm sorry. All right, then. Uh, what is an isosceles triangle? Go on, you tell me. An isosceles triangle oh. is a triangle whose angles at the base are equal. Just a tick, I'll write it in. Isosceles triangle, angle at the base is equal. There you are, that's one right. Carry on. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mr Hancock, this just is not good enough. All right, then what is an isosceles triangle? Go on, clever dick, you tell me. An isosceles triangle is a triangle whose angles at the bases are equal. Just a tick, I'll write it down. Uh, isosceles triangle, angle at the bases equal. There you are, that's one right. Carry on. Yeah, I think Robin played it correctly, as, as Kenneth would have done oh, yes. as was in, the, in the script, and absolutely right. And I think they were probably right to do it that way, in the because what they were doing was performing the scripts, yeah. and uh, that's exactly what they did. Let me just say that, that we think we know the reason why Kenneth wasn't there, in that the following day was his opening night at St Martin's Theatre in the West End, uh, where he was um, playing the Dauphin in, um, what's the play called again? Can't remember. Hold on. 
I can't remember either, which will come very quiet. We think the reason that Kenneth wasn't there was that the following night was his opening night in Martin's Theatre in London's West End, where he was playing the Dolphin in St. John. Mm. And what's more to the point, it wasn't just that he was doing this the next day, but this episode of Hancock's Half Hour was recorded at 11.30 at night. So he would probably be tied up with dress rehearsals and all sorts of stuff for the opening night. And it was probably decided fairly late on, well, actually, it was just too much. He might have been called to an additional rehearsal or something. We don't know this for sure. We're just surmising. But the information about the opening night comes from Kenneth Williams' diary. I was doing a bit of delving, trying to figure out why on earth it was he couldn't make it. So I got out Kenneth Williams' diary, and there it was in black and white. And I thought, well, that's, that's bound to be it. Obviously, we don't know for sure. He doesn't mention not turning up for Hancock. He just mentions his opening night. So uh... I wonder if they knew that he wasn't available because the final page of the script, there's a gap of where Kenneth Williams would or whoever else would have been listed. It doesn't say Peter Sellers, it's just a gap. So I think perhaps they, they knew he was contractually unavailable, but they'd already written the script with Ken in and then just yeah. put the addendum last page on with to be confirmed mm. whoever they could get and... Fortunately, they got Peter Sellers. The other interesting thing is that Peter Sellers was in the middle of a series for The Goon Show, and that recorded every, I think it was the same day, I think it's Sunday or Saturday or whatever. But on that particular weekend, there was no Goon Show recorded because the previous week they'd done two for some reason. So um, mm. that was another coincidence, really, because if Peter had been tied up with The Goon Show that weekend, they might not have released him to do the uh, the Hancock. Of course. And, of course, on the night this was broadcast, so this episode was broadcast at 8 o'clock, whereas all the others in the series have been broadcast at half past nine. This was broadcast at 8 o'clock on the light programme and at half past eight on the home service was The Goon Show. Right. Which was, which was the episode called 1985. It was the second recording of that. Yeah. So for fans of Peter Sellers, it was, you know, two back-to-back programmes, albeit on different channels which is quite incredible. And, and by this time, The Goon Show was already up to Series 5, so it was it was well into its stride. The end credits have got saying Peter Sellers... Um, no, I can't remember what it actually said. I, I was giving this a listen because it's not very clear. I, I hear it as on relief shift from The Goon Show. Relief mm. shift yes. from The Goon Show. That's right, relief shift from The Goon Show. Because it took me about three years. I was like, what on earth is, he, is Adrian Waller saying there? That was Hancock's Half Hour, featuring the lad himself with Moira Lister, Bill Kerr, Sidney James and the relief shift from the goon show, Peter Sellers. Incidental music was composed by Wally Stott and recorded by the BBC Augmented Review Orchestra, conducted by Harry Rabinowitz. Yeah, that's it. I think that's what it is. But of course, the other big difference then between Missing Hancock's and this version is, of course, when the Missing Hancock's were made, as we've said, they followed the script and the script ascribed a role called Granny in the script. Mm which, of course, the missing Hancock's got... Margaret Cabin smith ...to do. Yeah. But when, of course, we come to listen to the original, we discover it's not Moira doing the old granny voice, but Peter Sellers. Please, madam. Granny, let go of him. I told you before, you mustn't be too eager. Frightens them off. I haven't got time for the waiting game. Come on, fatty, let's live. Get off! Stand! You go on, get out of it! One. I'm not particular. Madam, please get your umbrella from round me neck. 
<laughs> Control yourself. That was really a surprise for me. I, I, I'd always assumed it, it was Moira. And also, if you look at the script, whatever characters are brought in like that, the script always says Moira or Kenneth or Bill or whatever. And in this particular one, it said Granny, which was very unusual. And I, I just assumed, like the missing Hancocks did, that uh, Moira had done it. Um, yes. But when we heard it for the first time and to hear Peter doing it, I was, I was, well, I was on cloud nine. It was brilliant. Hmm. Yeah, it took me by surprise as well. I had to double check. That that bit of Peter's performance isn't what surprised me because you know, having heard the goon show and <laughs> and uh, Mini Crun, uh, no, I think that was that was that was Spike, that was wasn't John's, it? That was John Street from the Goon yeah. Show. <laughs> <laughs> What's all this, What is this? I can't get in, Min. I dropped my key out in the dark and I can't see. Oh, well, come inside in the light and have a look for it. Thank you, Min. But, uh... Oh, yes, Min. And all those little voices. <laughs> I always assumed that Peter would have played the granny role for some reason. Right. I don't know why I got right. that into my head. but So I wasn't surprised by that. But what did surprise me was the managing director. Now, look here, Hancock. You know, this rough northern sort of voice mm. and i didn't initially realize that that were uh, peter sells but uh, it were so um, well, if, if if i'd have listened to that on if i'd have tuned in the radio when that first came out and switched that on i would not have known that was sellers no way no um it's just does it just i mean i mean he's a brilliant character actor obviously but uh, i'd never known that question four who was the father of the black prince or king cole <laughs> Well, Mr. Hancock, I mean, is there any point in going on? I don't think so. It's all there. I, I hadn't even got my reference books when I did it. You know, when I first heard this and I was listening and I thought, well, that must be Peter. Mm. But you don't immediately you don't immediately think of it as Peter. And then, of course, when you've got the um, complainants coming in to say, you know, look who, I, who I've married. And the first one of those is Peter, again, with yet another voice. Good morning. Good morning. I have a complaint to make. Yes? That woman you introduced me to, she was already married. How do you know? She was my wife. <laughs> but here, I'm warning you, I'm going to sue, you know. I hope you have better luck with her. <laughs> I was trying to make up my mind who did the second complainant, because in the oh, script, Alan says Simpson. Alan. But when you listen to it, I, I thought, is that Alan or is that Peter? I couldn't quite make it out. I'm sure that's Alan. The second yeah, one I agree. is Alan. Yeah. Hey, Tub, do you think that guy will make trouble? Well, if he does, it's only one complaint amongst 87. Come in! Yeah, I've got a terrible complaint to make. What? That girl you introduced me to. Well? I'm married her. <laughs> well, it does say Alan in the script. Yeah, I think uh, first one's Peter, the second one is, um, is Alan. But yeah, again, yeah. You, Another fantastic voice from Peter. Yeah, and a, quite a gruff voice from Alan, which does does mask it a little bit, because, you know, he was quite young, really, at the time they were done. Um, he'd have been, what, 22, 24, something like that. They, were, they weren't very old, the boys. But Alan's voice is normally quite distinctive, isn't it? Mm. You always know when, when he's doing something. Yeah, so that was definitely an accent he was mm. putting on. Mm. And then, of course, you've got Pete, Peter doing both Granny and the managing director in the same little scene yes, right, at the, right at the end yeah but, uh, i don't see how i can rules are rules i'm not allowed to employ anybody who's not married yes i know that but that's why i got married this morning you did yes. well congratulations of Thanks. course that's all there's everything you want to start <laughs> you can have the job with pleasure at that rate start as soon as you like thank you sir i'll, I'll just tell the wife ready yeah? get your overalls on dear oh. bring the shovels out <laughs> get it 
I was going to say, I think Peter's voices add a touch more realism. It's slightly less madcap and goon-show than I'd expected. And mm. That's what you'd have got from Kenneth. But I think, yeah, it, it seems more more realistic, more of like mm. the later show for an early one. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Kenneth, and I love I love his characterizations. But whenever he does a voice, you know it's him, don't you? There's no, there's no mistake in it's Kenneth Williams. But as as we've said, with 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 the Peter characters, um, it, you know, it's it's a different kind of fish. And certainly with the first one, I wouldn't have known it was him. And you know, had we not known in advance, I, I'd never have guessed it. I have to admit, on you know, I didn't realise that the uh, managing director was played by Peter Sellers. I thought some of the other characters were. So right. that's quite a revelation to me. You, and your experience there <laughs> live. There we go. Live revelations. <laughs> some of the jokes in there are great though particularly about the the test at the beginning that he's undergoing of um what is an isosceles triangle you've written yes oh right no <laughs> you know <laughs> question one was what is an isosceles triangle and you have answered yes <laughs> no, that's it that is not the right answer all right then no. <laughs> that also is not the right answer. I get your little game. It's a trick question. And uh, putting the little blocks in the wooden hole, you know, in the colour blocks in the right-shaped holes and all of it. It's just very, very silly. And Well, uh, now, Mr. Hancock, let's see how you've got on with our intelligence test. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Well, you've managed to get just over half of the little wooden blocks in the right holes. <laughs> I'd have got more in if my hammer and chisel hadn't broke. It's a great, it's a great opening, isn't yeah. it? To get, go, get games like that. It's very good. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of cultural references in this episode as well, mm. isn't there? What, what is um, pickles? There's a few references to pickle jar opener, uh, but there's also is there a band or? I think I think is a reference to Wilfred Pickles, mm. who it was, is. is an entertainer and had a radio show called um, oh, Ask Pickles. No, no, that was the TV spin-off. Uh, oh. The original one was um, Have a Go. Have the a Go. The original one was Have a Go. So the show was called Have a Go, and he, he would get couples up and people up and, and do various things. So I'm not quite sure what, what the reference was in this one, but uh, it was certainly a reference to him and that programme. Because uh, I think the line is, why don't you ask Pickles? He'll get you one. He'll get you a, a wife, was it? Or... Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So ask Pickles, ask Pickles, it was on TV, as you say, from 54 to 56. Right. I want a man. Well, go and ask Pickles, he'll find one for you. <laughs> and, and the press... Ah, yes, of course. The press publicity said, and I'll just quote it because I've managed to find it on my... Wikipedia or whatever it was. It doesn't matter how old you are, you can still make your own special dream come true if you get in touch with Wilfred Pickles. Maybe you want to feed a lion or pat a giraffe on the tiny top of his head, or perhaps you'd rather see the lovely lights of London reflected on the Thames, or ride pillion on a motorbike. Maybe you want to meet a film star, or he might even want to have a fight. All right, just ask Wilfred Pickles. He'll try and fix it for you. It, it sounds spookily like something in the 70s that we don't talk about these days. It really does. Mm. It does indeed, but less creepy. I felt our podcast was a bit of a crossroads there. Which way is it going to go? <laughs> <laughs> we'll move swiftly on. Yeah, that was, um, so that was, uh, I thought it was a very interesting cultural reference. 
Uh, any other cultural references, Jones? Yeah, so I obviously enjoyed the little skit with um, about um, Marilyn Monroe and Joe DiMaggio. It's lovely, absolutely lovely. I'll tell you who it was. Yeah, Marilyn Monroe. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. no. Don't overdo it. We haven't got much time this week. <laughs> As I was saying, Marilyn Monroe. Mm-hmm. I nearly married her. Of course, she was crazy about me though. Yeah. Saw me photo in a horror comic. <laughs> and you know, a little shiver went up this spine. Yeah, yeah. I turned back to the vicar. And I, I was just going to say I do. No. Do you know what happened? What? Joe DiMaggio clattered me over the head with a baseball bat. <laughs> oh, I love yes. that. I absolutely love that. Because these little asides with uh, Alan Simpson were confined to the first series, weren't they? Mm. Yeah. So um, this was the penultimate programme. Second last, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so this, so this was obviously the penultimate one of them. And I think it's probably one of the best. What I hadn't really, really I, I suppose I'd seen it before, but when, it, when you look at the script, all the bits that you think are ad-lib are actually all in the They're script. All there. And it's mm. a bit like Morecambe and Wise and um, people like that. You know, they do all this. Morecambe and Wise did all this stuff that you thought was ad-lib, but actually it's not. And a lot, a lot of comedians do that. It's, it's, a, it's a fairly popular trick to do it. But, it. but it's still very clever, and the timing is absolutely superb. Even Alan Simpson, who's not, although he did a bit of acting, you know, he's, he's, he's hardly a professional way to handcuff is, but the timing of those two together is perfect. Really. You can see it's because they've got, was it 13 or 14 of those under their belt now? They really mm. are riffing off yeah. each other quite nicely. Yeah, they yeah. really are. Yeah. yeah. But I think, I think there must be this one or two of them, like, well, don't go mad, you know, you nearly overdid it there. I, I don't know, I don't think that's in the script. I haven't double yeah. checked, but a lot of them sound like off the cuff remarks, and it, the, it's very is, much. Yeah. Like, that sort of confidential comic thing that Tony had as his sort of stage show act before he yeah. went into radio yeah. and you yeah. know, sitcom. Yeah. And it, it's very reminiscent of something Frankie Howard would do, isn't it? Isn't it? You know, it's like, you know, well, do you know, I said to him, you know, he said to me, would you yeah. believe it? That kind of yeah. over the garden fence yeah. kind of chat. And, and is... that, that, that Frankie Howard stuff was all scripted as well. So uh, in mm. the same way, more than was, yeah. Of course, this isn't the first time I've had anything to do with weddings, you know. Oh, I didn't think it was. Well, it isn't. No? No, it isn't. I'm a bit of a boy for the old... Uh, Are you? What? I am. <laughs> oh, it's got me into trouble before now. No, I heard about it. All right, all right. Nancy Pilati, we all heard it. Thank you. <laughs> so I was saying, guess who this woman I nearly married was? Margaret Rutherford. No. No, no. <laughs> Because even the bit where Alan jumps in and says, oh, Marilyn, and he says, oh, you, you jumped in a bit there. All of that was scripted. Yeah. yeah. None, none of it was ad-libbed. When, when James was talking about cultural references, was you going to ask who Marilyn Monroe is, James? I'm <laughs> <laughs> not that bad, Tim. But I was going to ask, um, those, are, those are a little line they say, where is, where is Ben Nevis is one of the questions for the uh, sort of intelligence test. And he's, he's on, in Soldiers he's on and Kilts. yeah. I, I didn't know Soldiers what... in skirts. Soldiers, Soldiers in, skirts. in skirts. Yeah. Yeah. What? What's that? That's a touring. Yeah. Sorry. Popular review. Yeah. Popular review yep. that toured at the tour, a touring show. Yeah. Hancock himself started off performing in the gang show in in the REF during the war, and the army had a similar one called called Enter. But what what happened was that all these um, shows were going around Europe entertaining the troops and stuff made up of soldiers and the soldiers were, were all men of course in those days um so they used to take all the parts including the female parts and when the war was over this sort of thing carried on and uh, they used to do these reviews and stuff 
from the forces where the uh, the blokes would would dress up in in women's clothing for when necessary for for these shows and and the expression soldiers in skirts um was fairly commonplace in those days i think and uh, this touring show question three geography where is ben nevis on tour with soldiers in skirts <laughs> i did look up some stuff to f- try and find some dates for it and there were examples you can find on on the internet of these shows appearing in the 40s but i hadn't i couldn't find anything of it appearing in the 50s at the time of this hancock's half hour but the laugh it got from the audience suggested to me that that show was current at the time and not something going back a few years but um I found um, a picture that was for sale, a photo that was for sale, and it was described as the drag performer Ronnie Stewart in Soldiers in Skirts in 1947. And it then goes on to say the popular review toured well into the 1950s. That's the only reference I could find to it. So it it sounds like it was, a, as you say, it was a a fairly popular touring um, show that, that was still around, presumably, in 1955. I did find as well. There's quite a lot of similarities in the um, in the script from the bequest and the lawyer. I don't yeah. know if you noticed that in terms of the the managing director. Wife's name, Mrs. Hancock. No, wait, 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 no, 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 no. I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not married. I... Well, that's very awkward, isn't it? I mean, you can't have a job unless you're married. It's it's very similar. The Peter Sellers, which I know now as Peter Sellers, he has to get a wife. <laughs> yeah, um, the lawyer who's when Tony's going to represent eventually Sir James in prison. The, yeah, so was it the, his boss, and then at the bequest, obviously getting married, he has to find a wife, and he tries to propose to. Is it Andre then, or is it more? Right? He's Andre, I think. Yes, Andre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone else under the sun, um, so that he can get his bequest. I mean, there's some lovely little lines, like you know, like references to the pickle factory girls that Bill hangs hangs around with, which gets quite a good laugh. Right now, the only problem is to persuade Mora. Well, you could twist her arm. That's all right for those pickle factory girls you knock about with. <laughs> Then you get you know a little fluff where he can't say the word sophisticated, or he says sophisticated sop, or something. So there's some nice little new Hancock fluffs in there. Mara's a different cup of tea. She's she's sort of sophisticated. I, 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 <laughs> I got a woo woo her. I, d- I don't think that was fluff. I th- I thought that was uh, Hancock doing one of his things where he uh, mispronounces words deliberately. Man of my collider, that kind yeah, of that's, thing. I, yeah, I thought it was be. like that, yeah. Possibly. Yeah. No, so I was going to say, there's a lovely line where he can, um, what are we going to do about my wife, Sydney? He goes, and he stops, he says, what are we going to do about my wife, wife Sydney? Sydney, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. great, isn't yeah. it? That was yeah. great. That was yeah. brilliant. And I chuckled at that. Well, please have a little decorum. Now, about my wife, Sydney. No, no. <laughs> About my wife, Sydney. <laughs> and then you've got the philandithera as well, haven't you? <laughs> philandithera, yeah. Uh, yeah. And and that, that's actually in the script, that one, isn't it? Yeah. It is, yes. Mm. Yes. But we're t- talking now about similarities with other Hancock's half hour. There was also uh, the bit where he was, he thought he was kissing Moira with his eyes closed and it turned out to be Bill. And I think we've covered this when we talked about the rouse strike because in that episode, he is ends up kissing Kenneth Williams in yeah. in the train carriage in the tunnel and in the jewel robbery, isn't it? The new car, I think it is. He kisses mm. he kisses a cow instead of Moira. 
So yeah. um, it's it's the same it's the same basic gag in three different episodes. It is. Please marry me, my darling. You will, won't you? Please, darling. Please. Will you open your eyes and stop kissing me? Moira's not here. Oh, it's you, is it? Thank goodness, that stubble had me worried. <laughs> On the rail strike, he says to Kenneth, did you like that? And yeah. Kenneth says, well, I can't say I did. <laughs> yeah. There's a slight variance on the script as well, on that line when he's sort of kissing uh, Bill. Just about the way he delivers the, the line about the stubble on Bill. There's a slight, slight variance the way he delivers it, which I, I just found really interesting that, especially listening to him for the first time, there's a slight variance on the way he delivers it, if you listen. A variance to what, sorry, James, to the missing handcuff? Yes. Mm. Please, darling, please. Will you open your eyes and stop kissing me? Moira's not here. Oh! <laughs> oh, it's you, is it? Thank goodness. That stubble had me worried. I was quite enjoying picking those out. I had to listen to them sort of, I probably about two and a half hours back to back, listen to each one and then going back and visiting the other one. Going back and forth. Yes, I had it sort yeah. of playing so it would go in by osmosis earlier today. But I think that's the joy in it though, isn't it? That's the joy in it because we, we were so lucky to, to to listen to this for the first time in God knows how long, or 50 or 50 odd years. Yeah, because yeah. although, although the records say it wasn't repeated, I think, Tim, you discovered, I think it was Tim, you discovered. Well, it was John. John found it. Clever John noticed on the script that it says repeat. But actually, what yeah. I think it is, is it was, wasn't was repeated on the light program or indeed on the home service, but it was played later on the um, world service or the overseas service, as it was mm. called at the time. But I think, I think officially it was broadcast once and not repeated mm. for UK audiences. And that's, that's what... Um, Wilmot says it wasn't repeated. In fact, none of those series one were repeated. The fact that it was broadcast later on the world service does not, I think, officially classify as repeat. I mean, mm. it they might have been they might have been broadcast on other stations abroad. For all I know, I, I haven't a clue. So, uh... no, of course. But as you say, I think the fact that it wasn't repeated in the UK makes this discovery even more incredible. Absolutely, that this was recorded on the one and only UK broadcast. So it, was record it wasn't recorded from an overseas broadcast as far as we're aware. I don't know if we have a little bit more information on how it was recovered and if that's something we can talk about at this stage. I, I can tell you how it was recovered because uh, we've been in touch with the guy who found the episode, whose name is Richard Harrison, who is described as a lost radio enthusiast. And he's been searching for over 25 years for uh, old radio shows and things like that. And he's amassed this huge collection of reel-to-reel -reel tapes. And he spends a lot of time tracking down these tapes and buying them on eBay and people send them to him in the same way they send them to us. And what actually happens, and you'll know very well about this, John, that he ends up with a, a room full of these tapes that he hasn't had time to go through. Yes. And every, every, <laughs> every so often he'll get his tape recorder out and his tape and one Sunday morning, he said he was, um, he put on one of these tapes to listen to an episode. And the first part of the program was missing and it went straight into the dialogue. And he thought, I don't recognize this. And he was trying to work out what series it was from. 
And he thought one way of trying to work it out would be to see who the producer is. So he skipped through to the end of the tape to see who produced it. And then, of course, they said, and that was Peter Sellers. And he nearly fell off his chair when he heard, because he suddenly realized that it had to be the marriage bureau. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said it was a, a moment of pure elation. So uh, Richard has very kindly written an article for our society's magazine, The Missing Page, which was in the uh, October edition, which came out recently. So that, that's really good. And he also featured, just before this episode was, was played on, uh, on uh, Radio 4 recently, there was a documentary program which was called Raiders of the Lost Archive. Raiders of the Lost Archive, that's right. So, And uh, Richard featured in that, which was a little documentary programme they made about the finding of this episode. Slightly before the BBC have um, broadcast it for the first time in, was it 62 years? Is that right? Yeah. From 56? 55, yeah. So we're assuming that the guy who gave the tape to Richard Harrison or the person who originally had the tape, mm. taped it off the radio at first broadcast in 1955. That, that's what we're assuming. Amazing. And considering that, the recording's quite a good quality one, isn't it? There's a bit yeah, of crack yeah. and noise, but there's not that much. It's not oversaturated. It's pre- Must have been hardwired. Yeah, other than, other than um, the opening monologue by Adrian Waller being missing and having to be re-recorded for this version, it's, it's completely complete, which is rather lovely. Mm. Yeah, and um, you know the, the the restoration of the episode when you hear the original recording from the reel to reel compared to the restored, I don't think they had to do a great deal of work. It's it's not yeah. a significant change in the quality, uh, other than as you say, adding in the opening closing music and just re-recording the opening piece that the announcer Adrian would have read because only half of that, or even less than half of that, is on the um, the original reel to reel tape. Yeah, there's only the last few words that he says, isn't there? Yes, indeed. This week, our hero was forced by circumstances beyond his bank manager's control to seek employment. At the insistent hint of his local labour exchange, he went along to the offices of Bush and Shepherds, of the firm of financiers and stockbrokers, to be interviewed by the managing director. That's right. That's, that's yeah. all that's, uh, that's on the, um, the actual reel-to-reel. But the way that they put it together and... Um, recreated that opening announcement with all the music it, it just feels seamless fantastic job the only thing really they've had to do is to, to remove a little bit of mains hum noise that's at a very low level on the recording having listened to it sort of with a with their headphones in and stuff um and, and of course factoid podcast factoid of the week if the, is that adrian waller is the grandfather of phoebe waller bridge of um killing eve isn't it is one of them and the other one is fleabag so the yeah. But the yeah. Killing Eve is yes. the other one, yes. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, so yeah, so that's a, yeah, it's just amazing that, you know, something new after all this time. And it's, yeah, it's been fantastic to hear it. And I, and we were talking about the music as well. You hear a little bit of Mantovani Charmaine that comes in there, which is one of the few records they use regularly in addition to um, the, the creations of Angela Morley. Um so that's quite nice to get it's a bit of romantic music they use regularly in the show. And there's just some wonderful lines in there and, and some of the stuff that was in the missing Hancock's version that wasn't in this one. I think one that I noticed was, uh, well, you've been drinking all my whiskey and smoking all my fags. Well, I don't want you to die of a smoker's cough with a drinking problem, uh, which was used then in the early um, second series when Hancock was unavailable and they had Harry Seacombe playing the role, I think. 
So um, that was quite fun to notice. They reuse stuff they cut if it didn't quite work for timing or whatever. They you know put it in the back pocket and bring it back later. Mm. Mm. All I've done for you. Ha! Lying in bed all day, drinking me booze and smoking me fat. I only did it for you because I didn't want you to wind up an alcoholic with a smoker's cough. <laughs> Thank you. Most touching. Uh, my favourite line on this is the wonderful description of Tony. The toast of Tooting Broadway School of Dancing. <laughs> Tango. Tango. <laughs> Tango night. Yes. Uh, <laughs> what? Hot Lips Hancock, the toast of the Tooting Broadway School of Dancing? <laughs> Tango night, of course. Yeah. <laughs> there are some very good lines in this one, actually, aren't there? Yeah, there's, there's some great lines. For, for, an early, for an early series episode, mm. there's, there's some actually classic stuff in here that are really good. I like the one when he says, uh, I'm not bad looking. There should be a market for my type of face. And uh, Sid says, oh, yes, there is. Billingsgate. Billingsgate fish uh, market, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not bad looking there. Should be a market for my type of face. Oh, there is. Where? Billingsgate. <laughs> it's a beautiful line, really clever. I like it when he's uh when he's going age twenty one and Sid says forty two. Yeah. Height yeah. five foot six, six foot six. He goes, What well, hang on, mate, you're doubling all. No, that's yeah. That's the this woman we're looking for. This is the bird I'm gonna find for you. Yes. <laughs> I want you to find me a wife. Can you do it? Sit down. Age twenty one, forty two. Height? Five foot six. Six foot seven. Weight. 13 stone, 18 stone, 4. Wait a minute, these aren't my details. He's talking about you. This is a dame I'm getting for you. <laughs> well, that, that was interesting because yes. in the original, in the original and in the original script, it says... It's dame. He uses the word, it's the dame I'm, yeah. uh, that I'm looking for. But in the remake, he uses the word bird. Now, yeah. unfortunately, we haven't got the script for the, that missing Hancock edition. It's one of the scripts we haven't got. But it's interesting that they changed the word Dame to Bird for the missing Hancocks. Maybe modernised it. Yeah. Who's talking about you? This is a bird I'm getting for you. <laughs> Another little cultural reference, I guess, is that the fact that an eye patch is considered the height of attraction. Yes, he wore one of those in the TV series, didn't he, when he was, when he was trying the to... The night uh... out, wasn't it? Was it one of those when it used to wear yeah. like a smoking jacket and an eye patch, didn't it? He has a dream of dancing and all of that, doesn't Why it? Why is that, that considered to be? Was was it? But I think it might have based, been based. It's sort of a Noel Carrad type look, but but mm. Noel Carrad didn't wear an eye patch. But there was there was I don't know, but there was probably an actor at that time who was regarded as good looking who wore one, and you know people you know and therefore he would be lampooned in in that way. Perhaps one of our listeners can uh, yeah. tell us who it was who mm. wore an eye patch. Or emulating Nelson at Trafalgar or something like that, you know. Mm. Was it Nelson and um, who was his uh, bird that he was knocking around with? Lord Nelson. Lady Caroline, wasn't it? Lady Caroline, yeah. yes. Yeah, the maybe bird was he was knocking like around with. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm turning into Sid James here slowly, bit by bit. That was straight out of the history books. Have you read the history books? <laughs> <laughs> I never exactly. thought we'd get onto that tonight. <laughs> do you think the eye patch might be something to do with being a war hero? Perhaps it's quite close to the end of the Second yeah. World War, after all, maybe. Like a duelling scar kind mm. of thing. Yeah. And I poked out. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, it is possible. I think I think my favourite line from it is the line he has an exchange with Moira. And she says, you know, we can go on honeymoon to Switzerland and then Paris and then for the fashion show. And he says... Uh, oh, forget me, Moira. You'll get over it. Just a girlish infatuation. <laughs> 
said you couldn't live without me. No, but I've thought it over and it'll be cheaper if I try. And, uh, <laughs> and so you don't want to marry me, I'm... I'm not good enough for you. Oh, yes, you are. I'm not. I'm fat and ugly. Oh, but I like men who are fat and ugly. I'm slimming and having beauty treatment. Oh. I'm slimming and having beauty treatment. I mean, that's just a fantastic <laughs> line, isn't it? And I love the way he changes his accent completely to, to a very posh accent for the um, people just don't go to Monte Carlo anymore. Yes. Sequence. Yeah. That's that's very interesting. Yes, have any of you swish? I hear that the society there is the most fashionable Europe these days. Well, Monte Carlo's gone right down since the end of the war, hasn't it? <laughs> I mean, nobody goes there these days. I mean, simply nobody. Eh? Well, then I think we'll fly back to London around about August, calling in at Paris to see the autumn collection. One of the lines I thought was quite interesting was the one where... So he, he's, talk, he's talking to Peter Sellers near, near the beginning when Peter Sellers is the company director. And he says, why is it that um, your employees have to be married? And he said, that's because it leaves our directors a clear field with the typists. Mm. And what, what is interesting about that line is, is, is the reaction it gets in the it audience. It really is, yes. Because in, in the original with Peter Sellers, it gets laughter. You can't have a job unless you're married. It's always been our policy only to employ married men. Why? Well, it leaves our directors a clear field with the typists, you see. <laughs> but when you listen to that line in The Missing Hancocks, it gets laughter combined with ooze, you know, sort of the modern-day audience, mm. and in view of sort of recent things in the news about um, TV and performers and people and, and directors and producers and films, etc., it's just strange how the, the change in sensitivities over the years and how, how people react to that sort of thing now. Because yeah, a lot of this stuff that we listen to in Hancock, I think we use the expression, is, is the comedy of its day, and, you know, we, we accept that some of this stuff is, is dated in that way, although it wasn't, wasn't perceived to be offensive at the time. But, yes, it's, it's just interesting, I think, how, how audience reacts to it now as opposed to how they reacted to it back in 1955. Yeah, it was a very different reaction. But I thought mm. that when you listen to the original, there is one particular guy in the audience who found that line particularly funny, and you can really yeah. hear his laugh. Yeah. And you just thought, well, <laughs> we, we know what he's been doing. <laughs> it did actually sound like Kenneth Williams, didn't it, a little bit? The yeah, that laugh, that. the laugh was very loud from one particular guy. Mm. <laughs> mm. I think that might have just um, touched a nerve, that line with that particular fella. You can't have a job unless you're married. It's always been our policy only to employ married men. Why? It leaves our directors a clear field with the typists. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the other things I noticed for this episode, I think we've talked about this before. I'm not surprised, really. In all the podcasts we've done, we, we often cover these sort of subjects was about Sid's role in this and, and the fact that he was third on the bill at this stage and uh, was he even fourth? He was behind Mora and uh, Bill, I think. Anyway, he, he certainly wasn't second billing, which he got later on. But he actually enters the programme on 16 minutes. So the programme mm. is more than half the way through before Sid actually makes an appearance. And he doesn't have an enormous role in this. No, I mean, no. I mean P Peter Sellers has got a bigger role in this than Sid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, just having yeah. a look at the script, it is Tony Hancock with Maura Lister, Bill Kerr and Sidney James. Yeah. In Hancock's yeah. Half Hour number 15, and mm. then underneath all of that is Kenneth Williams, although, of course, as we know, he wasn't actually in it in the end. 
Yeah. Well, so Sid had an easy week that week, really. He didn't have that many lines. He could, you know, take it easy and just watch the rest of them performing, couldn't yeah. he, really? Well, there's, yeah. there's one episode, yeah. and I can't remember which one it is, when Sid makes an appearance and Tony says, oh, didn't think you were going to be didn't in it this speak. week. Yeah, there is, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. that, that first scene at the Bureau, though, and particularly Peter's granny, of them in, aren't they? Come on, fatty, let's live. Oh, I'm sorry, granny, right out of stock. What about them? They're men, ain't they? Well, a memory's good anyway. I'll have the fat one. I'm not particular. I just love that as well. Just the goes for a goon show. Especially when Tony goes, Madam, please remove remove that umbrella handle from her neck. <laughs> yes, it's very much Grandma Giles type um, character territory, I think, isn't it? Well, I think there was a character in. Um, Till Death Has Do Part was based on Grandma Giles, played by Joan Sims many years later. He was that kind of drunken old soap granny type character. He was a bit reckless and a bit, you know, naughty. I like it. I can say one of my favourite bits in the early sequence is the paper aeroplane. Yeah. And um, the the brilliant way Tony does uh, delivers the line when Peter says, why is it mm. folded in this manner? And Hancock just says, it's the only way it'll fly, as though it's the most natural thing in the world. Um, but no, I think I, I love that sequence with the with the, the paper aeroplane and Peter's reaction to how he then makes it work at the end. Uh, I just think is uh, is brilliant. Well, I always used to do this, and he gets involved in it, doesn't he? It's like adults yes. playing conkers kind of territory, isn't it? Which I'm sure is in another Hancock where he's talking about shining up his conkers. Why is it folded like this? It's the only way it'll fly. <laughs> Mr. Hancock. You, you tear off this end bit here, fold it. You yes. see, this very interesting. That makes Mr. a tail. Hancock, please, I'm sorry. Then you, you bend this bit back here, you see. Mr. Hancock, I'm not interested. Then in you this. fold it again just here, making sure, of course, at the same time. That Mr. Hancock, this is an examination paper. You can't come in here making. This bit here. <laughs> you know, and then they run this marriage bureau and. They arrange 87 marriages in the first week. <laughs> it's, it's quite a bizarre and high number as well, isn't it? Surreal territory, I think, again there. Did you notice the anomaly in the script, though, or the inconsistency in the script? No, I didn't. Because that sequence starts with Tony saying, you know, the vicar's even put a new roof on the church. And then oh. shortly after, we discover that actually it's a fake vicar and... Therefore, the money didn't go to the church at all. So a little inconsistency in the script. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah that's a fair point. As Alan Simpson once said, there's, when we were talking about inconsistency between episodes, he says there's often no consistency within an episode, and that's a good example of that. That was a great example of that, mm. isn't it? It is indeed, mm. isn't it? I mean, I love that bit right at the end where she's like, you have a scar down one side and all this pass and freds out again. Why? Because they're not legally married, that's why. Rubbish, I saw the vicar marry him myself and I paid him. This vicar, was he a little bloke, scar down one cheek, close-cropped hair, four days' growth of beard on his chin? That's right. I knew it. What? Parson Fred's out again. <laughs> and, the, and the fact as well that Sid has this business where he's like, all these people are complaining, you're going to have to pay them back. Normally you'd feel if Sid had that sort of trouble with his business, he'd be on the banana boat to South Africa or wherever it was. Um, or just wash his hands of it and disappear into the night with his black bag. Yeah, but, um, but he's actually, yeah, he's actually going to do the right thing this time, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he is apparently. Well, he's going to make Tony do it. Oh, the other line I'd noticed in it is that the, in the Missing Hancocks they talk about Johnny Spooner's wife. I was like, oh, that was his wife. I thought it was his brother. 
And I'm sure that's reused somewhere else, isn't it? That that line that's in the missing hand course, but not in this original episode, unless I'm mistaken. Don't remember that one from elsewhere, but it, I mean, it is. It is. Yeah, a, I, it feels no. like I've heard it elsewhere. You know, it's a good line. It's a good. It is line. a good one. He found Johnny Spooner a wife. I haven't seen her. Yes, you have. Don't you remember? We met them in the pub yesterday. Was that his wife? Yeah. I thought it was his brother. <laughs> See, the first time I experienced this episode myself was um, the Tony Hancock Appreciation Society players, which was uh, the lovely Bob Bray, uh, the late Malcolm Chapman, uh, and an Australian gentleman whose name I've temporarily forgotten got together every Sunday around a tape recorder and recorded all these scripts. And about 10 years ago, I borrowed a couple of discs from the audio library before I ran the audio library and then proceeded to put all the sound effects into them to get myself used to editing things and playing around with audio. And that's, that sort of holds a little special place in my heart, even though it's not obviously a professional performance. It's quite quite sweet and a nice, nice tribute to the late Malcolm and such. This was one of the episodes they did, was it? They did them all, yeah. They did all of them. And in actual fact, I... I've kept their recording. Well, I've kept all of them, but I've I've put the recording they did of what was the one the episode that was repeated, and we've not got the second one. Oh yes, that oh. would be the Cinderella Hancock. Cinderella. Cinderella Hancock. Hancock. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I've 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 kept their copy of that on my iPod, so that I've got the second, you know, a copy of the second edition of that. But so uh, yeah, mm. it was a it was a lovely go by. A group of people who weren't professionals, but it was a great go, and it was the, and it was the best way we could hear those shows until, obviously, the brilliant Kevin McNally and the team recreated them for us. Exactly, exactly. Come in. Good morning. Good morning. I have a complaint to make. Yes. That woman you introduced me to, she was already married. How do you know? She was my wife. I'm warning you, I'm going to sue. Well, I hope you have got a bit of luck with her. Good day. Hey, Tug, do you think that guy will make trouble? What if he does? What's one complaint amongst 87? Come in. Here, I've got a terrible complaint to make. What? That girl you introduced me to. Well? I married her. God, blimey, God. I want me money back or I'll sue you. Tug, that's two of them. This is getting serious. Don't worry, there's nothing they can... Come in. So I guess it's time for the scores. So uh, what do you reckon you're going to give that one, James? So because it's new and um, I thoroughly enjoyed listening to it and I really enjoyed the comparisons. It felt like a bit like a kid in a sweet shop. And I thought there's so many great cultural references. I do think that Tony is on fire here and I think Sid is as well. Peter Sellers plays more part than I actually realised and he plays it superbly and he does fit in quite nicely as well. Bill's great, Moira's great. It's going to be a solid 9 out of 10 for me, I think. I think there's just so many wonderful, wonderful lines in there. And um, for an early series, I think it's exquisite. It really is. Might be because it's so new to me, but still, I'm going to give it a good 9. A good score there. What about you, Tim? Well, when you think back to when the series started, episode 1, um, it got a fairly mixed reaction from the audience, and uh, although the first episode was a good one, it shows how long they've, how far they come in that time, because this episode I think is just streets ahead of the earlier ones in the series. Part of it, I think, like James, is because you're hearing it new now for the first time. You're so excited about hearing it, you think it's absolutely brilliant. But I, I think it is very good. It's a superb episode. The script has ever 
is excellent. We knew about the script anyway because we had the missing Hancock's version. Uh, we knew what the plot was. But listening to Hancock do it is absolutely wonderful. And, and the icing on the cake, of course, is Peter Sellers. Fantastic that he was able to step in when Kenneth wasn't available, but a completely different uh, approach to it, completely different characterizations. And yes, we love Kenneth Williams. We love Peter Sellers too. So again, for me, uh, same as James, I'll give it a, a solid nine, a tr- terrific, terrific episode, an absolute joy to listen to. And I'm just absolutely thrilled that they found it. Well, for me, I think I was thinking, um, I was thinking sort of a, an eight and a half kind of thing. Cause it wasn't quite as madcap, but then I think, I think I'll, I'll concur with your nine and give it a nine as well, because I think it's more realistic. It's got that more realism kind of element to it that so a lot of the earlier shows didn't. It's, it's, it's quite madcap. It's quite fun. I, I think I wouldn't have been excited for it as, as if we'd found one of the, perhaps one of the other shows with Harry Seacombe in it or something, just because that would have been something very different to hear and would have been a lovely comparison. The goons were in, were all in an episode each, although um, Spike's performance was one line in one of them. Uh, excuse me. No, Spike didn't. We've established that Spike didn't turn up. No, Spike didn't do it. Uh, I see. Well, we have... One of two goons uh, in existence, so I think it's it's realism. There's some lovely cracking lines in there, like like you'd said about you know we'd said earlier. All right, so I think yeah, a nine a nine's good. It's a good quality recording as well, unlike some of the ropier ones. You know, you'd think if you're going to find anything, it's not going to be the first series. Nothing will be found of that. But here we are. So never say never, and um, a great great one to listen to for the very first time. Yeah, and I'm going to share your scores of nine. It, it is a, a great listen. And I think I just remember the excitement of hearing the Blackboard Jungle and the original version of The New Secretary when those were first found back in 2005, mm. which was the last time I'd heard a brand new Hancock's Half Hour episode. And I think Tim, we discussed earlier, decided that before that it was The Stolen Petrol in 2002. 2002, yeah. yeah. So it's, it, it's absolutely brilliant to find a, a brand new episode icing on the cake is it's this special one that has also got peter sellers which gives the episode a, a completely different feel to um the sort of the the normal episode and as you say even though this is a first series i think it's a really strong script there's lots of fantastic lines and yeah it, it's a nine it's a nine for me coupled with an appeal to our listeners if any of you have got real to real tapes I know John has just said earlier on that he's got a house full of them, but he's really, really, really would like some more. So if you've got any reel-to-reel tapes that you think might have a Hancock on, we'd love to hear from you. If if I had a pound for every time people said to me, you, you won't find any more now, you know, basically give up, I'd be a very rich man. But But here we are. This episode was found presumably in someone's loft and handed over to uh, to Richard. There are more out there, I am absolutely sure. Not only Hancock's Half Hour, but other vintage radio programs that are lost. And, you know, it really is important, you know, particularly if you've got older relatives or older friends, ask them if they used to record these things back in the day, because it was fairly common practice. And uh, what's probably happened is that, you know, someone along the line has taped more of these. The tapes have been put in the loft or in the garage, and they've been sitting there all these years. Tapes do deteriorate, so you can't always uh, recover them. But um, it really, it really is worth checking and asking. 
indeed it is and uh, so we'd love to do another podcast this time next year with another one wouldn't we so you know yeah wouldn't it be nice to have the one with harry seeker in (laughs) well yes we'd love to know how he you know how he absolutely performed the role that would be that would be wonderful and if you have any inquiries or think you have any episodes, you can always email audio at tonyhancock.org.uk or even any of the other chaps' emails and we'll happily get back to you with any info on what you might have and um, see what we can do. You never know, might find something lost or special. Yep, we'd love to hear from you. Free badge if you find one. We will definitely, you know, send you a bag of wine gums or something. <laughs> <laughs> It won't be one with all black ones, though, because you can't get them You now. can't always get them, yeah. <laughs> Hugh Lloyd keeps pinching mine. So uh, <laughs> an average of nine pints, well, uh, uh, a mean average of nine pints is is a damn sight more than an armful. Uh, so that's about it for this week. So if you want to take it away, Tim. Why not join the Tony Hancock Appreciation Society today? You can find us at tonyhancock.org.uk for all the information you need on how to join. For just £13 a year, you'll have access to the members area of our website and receive four magazines a year by email, packed with information on Tony, his shows and archive material. Members also get a digital-only bonus pages supplement every quarter. Or you can have four colour printed copies of the missing page posted to your door for £16 a year in the UK or £26 worldwide. We're a friendly and welcoming bunch, so please do join. We have regular reunion events with archive displays and gatherings and meetups. Please get in touch. We'd love questions, conundrums and feedback. To do so is very easy. Send your emails to podcast at tonyhancock.org.uk. Keep an eye on our Twitter accounts for the latest news on the podcast and all things Tony Hancock. Our Twitter accounts are East Team Lad, Tony Hancock Appreciation Society and Very Nearly an Armful. In the next episode, we'll be reviewing the television episode Lord Byron Lived Here. Hope that you'll be able to join us then. For now, that's very nearly an armful, so I'll say ta-ta. It's sayonara from me. Chickadee Snitch. And this is GLK London signing off for a quick cough and a drag. And uh, with the intelligence test, Tim, I'm afraid you've failed. You've not been able to get your blocks, coloured blocks for all the little holes. (laughs) (laughs) Even with a sledgehammer. This has been an official podcast of the Tony Hancock Appreciation Society. Unfortunately, it was not written by Alan Simpson and Ray Gordon, whoever they are. The announcer was me, Robin Sebastian, currently appearing in the saloon bar of the Hendon Racket.